Luke 9, if you want to start flipping there, and I'll ask you a question. Who is the greatest person sitting in this room? It sounds like an awkward question, doesn't it? Who is the greatest person sitting in this room? So Rich says it's him. Here's the second question. Is that a bad question? Well, no, no, I'm being real specific. Not God. Physical person in this room, who's the greatest? See, here's the kicker. Jesus tells us not only is it a good question, it's a great question, and you probably should know the answer to it. Because Jesus tells us to be great. And if you don't understand what great is, you'll never know who's the greatest person in the room. And the answer is actually in our text today. So who is the greatest person in the room you don't know yet, do you? Well, I don't know. That's part of the question. Jerry, I can't just answer it and be done that fast. Verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, don't stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. I've got to tell you, I was planning on going all the way through 10-2, and I'm going to stop there because I won't make it. Scripture is marvelous. Scripture is, I think some people take it intellectually. Some are intimidated by the intellectual aspect of it, so they avoid it. Others are enraptured by the intellectual aspect of it, so they love philosophical conversations about it. As a Jew, let me say, don't go that way. Can, can God... Make a rock too heavy for himself to pick up. Do you tithe off of gross net, net, net? It's really the same conversation. You're missing the point in a philosophical discussion. Scripture is living and active, and it's designed to, to point us to Christ, to be applied to us for sanctification, to be carried out through the ministry of the Spirit in the context of, of the local body. Scripture is magnificent. Don't play games with it. Don't intellectualize it. Slow down let it sink in. Why is this text here? How does it point me to the reality of who God is, what the gospel is, and who am I in Christ? Can God make a rock too heavy for himself to pick up is a stupid question. So don't wrestle with philosophical, nonsensical, irrelevant conversations. Don't see Scripture as just intellectual. It is intellectual for sound doctrine, for orthodoxy, which should lead us to doxology. Praise of God. Amen? But who's the greatest? What's going on here? So they're amazed at all Jesus was doing. What was he doing? healing, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind, cleansing lepers, raising dead people, amen? 
And they're all getting fired up. And Jesus says to his disciples, let these words sink into your ear. Lay them on your ear until you get it. Don't be carried away with a crowd. Don't go with your flesh. Slow down. You know who I am. You're saved by me. But you don't know the gospel that well because before the crown comes the cross. That's what pivot in our text. Up to 951, everything is about the coming of Jesus, who he is, why he came. From 51 on, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. It's about his going, how he will accomplish what he came to do. And the disciples don't get it yet. And Jesus is saying, don't get carried away by the world or your flesh. Before the, cross, or before the crown comes across, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He's basically saying, you don't understand I'm a suffering servant. I will, I will die, but I will rise. And the disciples fall down in praise and adoration, right? They have an argument. Who's the greatest? Goes like this. Hey, Peter, I raised seven sick people. Three blind people I gave sight. I'm the greatest. You're a blind fool, man. I healed 17 lepers. I gave lame people legs. I healed the whole town. I'm the greatest. Nonsense. I raised two dead people. It's me. Can't you see the disciples having this stupid argument? No, it's me. No, it's me. No, it's me. And Jesus says, really? Really? Is it? And he takes a little child, picks him up in his arms. Before we get to the kid, pride. Are there any proud people in this room? Do you know that you're proud? Watch this. The way pride is so easily seen is by how hard it is to see it. When you flip, I don't even know where it is here. I got to, should probably, yeah. Go to Luke 22. Look at verse 24. So we're getting close to a year later after this lesson. These cats, look what they're doing in verse 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. How stupid could you be? Didn't he deal with this in 9 and they're still dealing with it in 22? Pride. Friends, pride is the root of every sin. Pride is based on self. Pride is life is all about me. And until you see how sinister pride is and how easily it masquerades itself, you will not see self-centeredness, self-love, self-satisfaction, self-exaltation, self-fulfillment, self-worship, self-adoration, self-admiration, including self-centeredness in the form of clickedness, clickiness. Jesus' point is, y'all are some sinful, prideful people. You're saved, but you're arguing about who would be the greatest? Come on, man. But friends, who's the greatest in this room? Has anyone here ever healed sick people, raised dead people, given sight to the blind, legs to the lame, anybody? Can we, be, can we just be really transparent? See, let, 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 let's, let, let's let it air out a little bit. No, no, no hiding behind the superficial masks. Who's the greatest? Ah, got somebody tracking. 
Who's the best connected in the room? Who runs in the best circles? Who's got the most money? Most educated, best looking, smartest, highest IQ. Most friends, most accolades from the world, most you're so awesome. Who's the best person in the world? We're all fighting to be it, aren't we? Aren't we? Friends, are you with me? If not, you're fully sanctified. Go home. Jesus takes a small child, puts a small child in his arms. Mark in Matthew, a parallel text. And he says, what does he say with a small kid? Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. What's he talking about? Matthew says it a little bit differently. You must be like this child to enter the kingdom of God. How so? See? Thank you for saying that. Because for years that was my answer. Aren't little kids sweet and innocent? They have a childlike faith where you just trust Jesus. But I thought in sin did my mother conceive me. I was brought forth in iniquity. Ready for this? Who are the most insignificant people in any society by accomplishment? What if, you give me a little, little one-year-old. What you do? <laughs> So if he could talk, yeah, I went to the bathroom in my pants. <laughs> I can sit up. And then as full-grown men, we'd be like, well, that's ridiculous. I am educated. I am capable. I am accomplished. What'd you do? I rolled over. <laughs> Hoops, need new diaper. Kids offer nothing. They have no accomplishment. They have nothing to credit themselves of value in the world. Amen? They're cute. I agree. We idolize them in our Western context, so it gets a little tricky. They have value because they're image bearers, but they have no value in the eyes of the world. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen to this, friends. Are you listening closely? Until you understand that you have nothing about yourself to commend you to God, you will never even enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that crazy? Any ability you have is simply an ability entrusted to you by God for his glory. Any understanding you have is understanding entrusted to you by God for his glory. So, so what do you really have to boast about. Look at how accomplished I am. God would say, you didn't do a lick of nothing, son. You were dead in your sins. You were an enemy of God. Look how smart I am. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Who are you? But yet we think we're smart. We know better than God. God, I'll tell you how to, how to worship you. I'll tell you how to know you. I'll tell you how to love. Stop. Y'all may have done some mighty stuff on your trip, says Jesus, but how did you do it? You did it by my power, so you better check yourself before you wreck yourself because a prideful attitude is bad for your health. I think those were lyrics from an old gospel song. Not really. It's a joke, friends. Pride. 
Pride produces pecking orders. Look around the room. Spin your heads a little bit. It's good exercise. Prevents blood clots. See these people around the room? Friends, land it this way. Do you have a pecking order in this room? You got favorite people? People you like better than others? People you love better than others? People you think you're better than others? Maybe not? Careful now. Because sin, I'm sorry, pride also produces clickiness. Look at verse 49. So Jesus is teaching, and John all of a sudden notice there's no question mark. Master, we, 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 we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we, we, we tried to stop him because he didn't follow with us. No question mark. I believe this is conviction of sin. Jesus, he wasn't part of our group. He, he, he's, who does he think he is trying to get himself some privileged position in the kingdom? He's not even one of us. And what does Jesus say? Don't stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Pride produces clickiness. Pride produces a pecking order. I'm better than you. I have more value than you. You're not worth my time. And pride produces clickiness. Pride produces groupings into, into, we'll get to this next week, when they go into the Samaritan village. Remember the, the sons of thunder? And they say, James and John, and they say, Jesus, you want us to call fire down and bust these folks up? Really? Is that why Jesus came? See, I'll give you the original sermon was humility, mercy, joyful service, but I can't get all the way to 10-2 because we're going to sit in pride for a minute today. Pride produces pecking order and clickiness. Pride is so sinister in that you cannot even see it so well in your life. If we're honest, I wrestled with this all week. You don't really feel like you're an incredibly prideful person, do you? I mean, do, do you feel like your life is riddled with pride? Honestly, you don't, right? I, do you ever disobey God? Do you know why? You know why? Pride. You ever not love certain people? Or, or you, you ever get angry with someone and rather than pray for them and, and cover sin in their life, you want to expose their sin and slander them? You know why? It's called pride. It's called pecking order. Look, look, look at Ricky's sin. Now look at me. See how much better I am than him? Look, look at Renee's sin. Now look at me. Man, I'm going to tell you about everybody's sin because look at me. You ever have those conversations with people, and then after the conversation, you're like, oh, I wish I would have said this. I could have said it this way, or done it this way, or addressed it this way. You know what you're doing? Pride, you want to win the battle. Self-centeredness, self-love, self-satisfaction, self-exaltation, self-fulfillment, self-worship, self-admiration, and adoration. Brings this kid in. You must become like this child. So, so this is what's hard about not getting all the way to 10 too, but we can, we can do this, friends. What's the solution to pride? How do we kill pride? How do we kill it? 
Well, you see back here, says in our verse 44, the Son of Man is about to be delivered. You see that up there? Who delivered Jesus? Matthew 26, 24 to 25 would tell me Judas delivered him. Son of man goes, it's written, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Acts 3.13 tells me the Jews, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered, the Jews. Matthew 27, 26, and he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Pilate, who delivered Jesus? Judas, Jews, Pilate? Hmm. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Acts 2.23. Judas, the Jews, Pilate, they're culpable, but he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, Romans 8.32. God gave him up and now we can pivot because the cure to pride is humility. He who came in humility, humbling himself to the point of death on a cross, came to save you and recreate you and to cause you to be anew so that sanctification might be seen as a battle of putting pride to death and becoming more humble day by day. <clears throat> Amen? The cure for pride is the gospel. The great pride is I earn God's favor by my works. I'm a good person. I do good. That's the damning pride of self-righteous legalism. But God comes into the world and he causes what is dead to become alive. So we're convicted by our sin and we cry out to Jesus, Jesus, choose me for salvation. And if you believe in him, he will forgive you. Amen? <clears throat> But when you're saved, the, the, the chains of pride are broken, the shackle is unlocked, but you still got to loose yourself of the shackles, amen? And the cure for pride in the life of a believer is, are you ready for this? The gospel. It's being reminded again and again, day by day, of who we are and who he is and what we will one day become. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, listen friends, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, do you know what he did? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We'll bring it full circle. Don't worry, we're not landing the plane yet. Who's the greatest one in this room? 
Jesus doesn't say, don't be great. Jesus says, be great, but be great according to the right definition of greatness. Who is the greatest person in this room? Let's ask this a different way. Are you great? In the eyes of Jesus, are you great? Now, careful. Because in, this is a fun little exercise to think about. This is not a philosophical discussion. This is a joyful reminder. When you get to the presence of God, say we all lined up. Is he going to hand out trophies? Lillian and Ricky, they'll get participation trophies. So you're sitting to my right. I don't know I'm picking on this area today. I should be picking on Renee. But to offset it, Renee gets a best-in-class trophy, right? Do you know how we're judged in the kingdom? We're all clothed in the righteousness of Christ because there's no pecking order in the kingdom. But what we do in the kingdom is based on how we live in this life. What God entrusts to you is dependent upon how you live on this side, not where you're going, but what you're doing where you're going. So on that final job review, on the day we give an account, the question is, will Jesus say to you, great? Well, what does great look like? I don't know. I think I just read it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You want to see how you do this with pride? Do you know how much time I invest with my wife and kids? I mean, I, I am so humble that, that I invest so heavily in them. You want to know the problem with that? Pride can make that into clickiness real easy. I love my kids more than I love Renee. Is that good? I have a different responsibility to my kids than Renee. But the question that I'm asking is, am I loving Renee faithfully like I'm loving my kids hopefully faithfully, like I'm loving my wife faithfully, like I'm loving those who are part of my church family faithfully? Not how I want, but how God says. Do you see what I'm going with here? Do nothing from selfish ambition or... Cons hey guys, why do you do what you do vocationally? For the glory of God or selfish ambition? I don't know. Can we be honest? Is there not a mixture? Does anyone here have perfectly pure motives? Does anyone here love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You see, until you understand that's not what a saved person is identified by, you're going to struggle. A saved person is identified by a little bit of love for God in their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it grows as we steward the gospel entrusted to us. But it grows as we see how sin still resides. Paul talked about his credentials. You remember that? And he called it scubalo. You know what scubalo means in English? It means fecal, trash. But Paul sees a surpassing worth of being in Christ Jesus. And in light of that Sunday school, we're looking at how Paul's praying for other people. How does he love people like that? How does he love people Philippians 2, 3, and following style? You want to know the answer? <clears throat> Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And here's what that's saying. If you are saved, you will become like Jesus. And as you become like Jesus, do you know what you become? Great. So, so the question isn't appropriately asked, who's the greatest one in this room? But church, you want to know what we're called to do in part? You know, parents nowadays with their kids, you're so special, little Johnny. You can be a professional football player. I know you're 17 and only 5 foot 2 and 98 pounds, but in God all things are possible. How about, how about not? How about rather than that we pivot it to one another in truth? Hey, little Renee, you're great. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus tells us, deny yourself. Stop associating with your old self. Take up your cross daily. Let's be killing sin and follow him. Because Renee, you're great and you're going to be great. And that's a truth God promises. Do you see that? Part of what we're called to, part of the joy we have in Christ, is, is the world offers all of these definitions of greatness, and if we're honest, we sip from that well way too often. So we can even Christianize it. If you get your sin level down to about here, now you're great. If people think really highly of you, now you're great. If, if, you, if you can quote scripture, chapter, and verse, now you're great. If you know the answer to the question, can God make a rock too heavy for him to pick up, now you're great. On this side, I can't handle the intellectual rigors of it. I, just, I don't know any of it. I don't care. I'm never going to be great. You see the wrestle here? And Jesus steps into these conversations that we have with ourselves way too often. And he picks up the equivalent of baby Jude. If we, if we brought Jude up here, I won't do, although there's no germs up here. It's a safe environment. Purell, Clorox, you can. If Jude could talk, and Jude said, look at me. I held my head up all by myself. Would you all be like, whoa, wow, huh? Well, what do you think? God's hearing when you say, look at me. I know what page Zephaniah is on in my Bible, and nobody else here does. Quick turn there. You can't do it, can you? Look at me. Right? What do you think God's saying? Oh, you need a new diaper, son. Because, because you're forgetting who you are and who I am. Here, here's what, you know that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? It ain't about scoring a touchdown. Did you know that? Sometimes it's, it's about dropping the pass to catch the touchdown to win the game. And you know what you could do when you drop the pass? You can still glorify God. It's about remembering who God is and who you are in him and what he has saved you to and what greatness truly is. My friends, the world is beckoning and calling. The world says if you have a healthy marriage, you will be great. If you have 2.7 kids, you will be great. If your income surpasses $300,000, you will be great. If you have 1,200 Facebook friends, you will be great. If you can serve in a position where all your neighbors know you, you will be great. If your house has 10 acres and a gate, you will be great. Stop. 
because the lie that the devil doesn't want you to know, that's not greatness. And when you smoke that drug, you keep needing another hit. I got news for you, friends. Oprah ain't content. Jeff Bezos, life ain't going so well. But Paul was in a prison cell rejoicing. Paul and Silas were in a prison cell singing hymns, preaching the gospel. They were being great. So the question we're faced with today is who's great? Who's the greatest one in this room? The least. Do you see that? Where in our lives are we failing to live as Christ calls us to? And why does Christ call us to that? Because it's living a fully human life. Now here, here's the hard part, and we're going to start landing this. That's point one, pride and humility. Point two is mercy. Point three is joy. So, so to land this well, I just need another hour and a half. Are you guys good with that? Yeah, I'm not. You imagine what my voice would sound like at that point? But here's what you need to understand. So we're backing this up a little bit further to where we were. Jesus says, if you would follow me, deny yourself. What does that mean? Stop associating with yourself, your old self. You know what it is? In a very real sense, you know what Christianity is? I'm going to say this carefully and then explain it. Christianity, sanctify, sanctification, maturing, it's self-suicide. You ever think of it that way? See, suicide is a horrible thing because what happens is people are so, it's a complex thing, people are so despondent in their circumstance, they can't take it anymore and they just want to make it end. It's incredibly sad. But here's where you get to, and, 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 and here's where the devil takes, takes truths and makes them lie. He'd whisper into a suicidal person's ear, just end your life. It'll be so much better. All the suffering will stop. It's horrible. But see, here's what Jesus is proclaiming in the gospel of truth. Go ahead and kill that old self. There's joy to be had. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about putting to death the old self, to stop associating with the old self, to not walk by the wisdom of man, to not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. Do you see that? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Where is sin residing in your life? Be killing that sin. Be killing that old self. And follow me. Well, well where are we going? And here's where the disciples were. Well, where are we going, Jesus? We were just up on the mountain. Elijah and Moses were there. We tried to build a tent. The kingdom is coming, and we want to be in the high positions. I want to be the, the secretary of state. I want to be the secretary of defense and call down the spiritual weaponry. Well, I want to be the VP. He says, guys, you don't get it. You, you don't get it. He who would be first must be last. If you, want, if you want to serve in the high position in the kingdom, you must serve the lowliest in this world. You must put others ahead of yourself. So when we look at Philippians 2, don't read Philippians 2 as God saying, you better do this or you're going to hell. No, 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 no. Read Philippians 2 in the light of God saying, this is who you are in Christ, friends. This is what life is meant to look like. Quit drinking out of the septic tank and come drink living water. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's a lot of good intellectual information in this book. Did you know that? But it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a living and active. And what God does through his word, by his spirit, through the administration of the gifts that the spirit entrusts to the local body, is he sanctifies us. He causes us to become more like him. He causes us to fight sin, to deny self, and to follow him. And little by little, do you know what you become by his work, not by your striving? Do you know what you become? I say it again. By his work, not simply by your striving. You become humble. And as you become humble, the more humble you become, the more great you become. And the more great you become, the more you enjoy Christ. Point two, mercy. Mercy's next week. Let me do this as we pivot us. I'm going to fold this under. Glenda made this look all nice, and I'm going to ruin it. I'll cover it back up. Do you know what the front of this table says? Anyone ever notice that? It says, in remembrance of me. We're going to come forward in a moment and take communion. One of the things I was thinking about in light of this text and where we're going next week, there are some seriously wrong ways to come to this table. Did you know that? See, may, maybe someone in light of this sermon is, is just convicted like, Lord, I, I, I didn't realize how prideful I am. Oh my goodness, I am, I am self-focused. I am self-arrogant. I am, I, I am cliquish. I don't really love people that much except for the people I like the most. God, I, I can't take communion. I'm a hot mess. Can I tell you a secret? You're perfectly prepared to come to the table. Maybe someone else has just listened to me and they're like, good Lord, all I'm hearing is blah, 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 blah. When is this man going to shut his mouth? I can smell the food downstairs. Is he done yet? I'm thinking you might not want to become forward. Because the only way we're made worthy to come forward is by recognizing that we just like baby Jude. You don't come on your credentials. You don't come up to Jesus and go, I held my head up for three seconds. No, because he doesn't say you must hold your head up for three seconds. He says you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So for those who are saved, listen close to me. Don't see yourself in your sin. See yourself as God does, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And as you see your position in Christ, now be killing sin. Amen? Amen. For those of you that think a little too highly of yourselves, you might want to check yourself before you wreck yourself because a prideful spirit is bad for your health. Pride is deadly. Pride is damning. Pride is destructive. So I want you to realize as we come forward, we're not doing this in remembrance of how well I did this month. We're doing this in remembrance of what Christ has accomplished, is accomplishing, and will accomplish. Amen?
How crazy is this? I, we, we spend this, this text talking about pride in our lives. Would you know the more you see sin in your life, the more you should see grace covering that sin? Do you ever think about that? For a believer, sin in your life, while vile and disgusting and should be desired to be gone, should not cripple you. Because sin has lost its power over you. You are no longer captive to sin. You can be great. You are positionally great. And you can be practically great as you simply, listen to this, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Well, someone said, follow him where? See, here's where the philosophical becomes a practical. Can God make a rock that's too heavy for himself to pick up? See, you know where you have those conversations, friends. Mm. Here's the conversation. Jesus, according to your word, what are you calling me to do specifically that I know today? And do it. Don't all go get dancing in philosophy class over here. Don't be speculating upon. So like the 24 thrones and the throwing the crown, just let's get to Revelation in a moment. Because you ain't got your crown yet. We got to go to the cross first. And then when you get your crown, we'll throw your crown because God will prepare you for the crown given, but you got to get to the given before you get the going. Amen? So where is he calling you to obedience today? And trust him today. And then trust him tomorrow. Now someone's going, but you don't understand tomorrow. No, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. You worry about today. And here's what happens. Years down the road, you'll change from someone who went, I raised three dead people, I healed 14 sick people, I gave sight to seven blind people, knock it off, I'm the greatest. That Peter, to the Peter years down the road, who would be crucified upside down because he wasn't wasn't worthy to be killed in the same manner as his Lord. You'll be like this arrogant Pharisee trained under Gamaliel who was all about destroying the church who found himself in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, singing psalms and offering forgiveness to his adversary. It doesn't happen like that. It happens as the Lord conforms you to his image day by day. It happens in part through this. As we come forward and remember who Christ is, who we was, has that for bad grammar, who we are, and what we will one day become. Please, 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 don't ever let your sin keep you from the Lord's table. Oh, maybe unrepentant and unaddressed sin, yes, that's different. But not sin you're simply aware of that you desire to get rid of. No, no, no in remembrance of him. Now, another side note that I'll just share out there for an encouragement for all of us in caring for one another, and this happens in almost any church. You ever notice almost everybody always comes forward? Should we be praising God that he saved every single person in the room? Woo-hoo! Now, we're never going put to a, put a bouncer up front here. We've had people in the past that want a communion bouncers. You'd have to bring your, your checklist of what you accomplished. Anybody not read 100 chapters of Scripture in the last month? If so, can't come. 
Anybody not done 17 acts of service for the Lord's glory? Anyone not passed the theology test or the Bible memory challenge? No, no, no. There are churches that do that if you'd like to find them. But there's a way of caring for one another. And the way of caring for one another is this. My friends, do you know the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus? Do you know the joy of following him? And we'll pick up this conversation downstairs. Can you encourage one another in the ways in which God is clearly working in the other person's life for his glory? Because when you can do that, my goodness, we can encourage one another. But listen, when you can't do that, do you know what the answer is? Don't tell people to clean up their act. Tell people about the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus. Invite them to follow you as you follow Jesus. Let them know there will one day be a great feast where there is, in fact, a bouncer, and his name is Jesus. And there will be people who come up to the banquet who he says, away from me, I never knew you. But my friends, do you know the privilege of come to me, all who are heavy burdened? Come to me, you who are broken. Come to me, you who are weak. Come to me, you who have no credentials on your own. Come to me, you who have no money and drink and eat freely. This is the gospel in remembrance, not of you, not of what you did, but in him and what he has done. So my friends, yes, pride abounds in our lives, but we who are saved are no longer captive to that pride. One day that pride will all be gone. That's Romans 8 promise. And until the day it is gone, God is graciously chiseling at your life, conforming you to the image of Christ so that you might not just be positionally great in his eyes, but practically great by how you live in his power, according to his word and for his glory. So rather than ask, is anyone, or who in this room is the greatest? I'll ask this question. Is anyone here great in the eyes of God? Is anyone here righteous before God? And if the answer is yes, by the blood of Christ clothed in his righteousness, accredited with his life by grace through faith, I invite you to come forward and rejoice as we remember until he returns what Christ has done. I invite you to come forward down the center, return on the outside, and we'll close with a song.